the heart behind control on this edition of Truth and Love. Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Daniel Schubert. He graduated with a Doctor of Ministry uh, with an emphasis in biblical counseling from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and with a Master of Divinity degree from the Master's Seminary. He currently serves as a counseling pastor at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas. Prior to serving at Countryside, he served at the Master's University as a graduate teaching fellow in the MABC program. In addition to his work at the university, Daniel served in the counseling department at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. He and his wife, Heidi, have two daughters and a son, Annabelle, Elliot, and Ruth. Daniel, so grateful for you to be on the podcast. First time. Looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dale. Now, we're going to talk about this issue of control, and we use that word quite frequently in our culture. We talk about it in in various terms as we talk about this issue of control. I'm sure we've all experienced this, unfortunately, in one way or the other. Some people say it like this, well, he's so controlling or she's such a control freak. It's interesting how we talk about other people in that way as opposed to ourselves. But I want you to talk about this, Daniel. Is control a category that's really a biblical ideal? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think the short answer to that is yes. Much like the word Trinity, we can use terms that describe different biblical ideas, even if they don't, aren't specifically used in Scripture. So what is commonly referred to as control, you know, I believe, is a heart issue that can lie at the root of several different sin issues, such as an overbearing or manipulative uh, person or behavior, even something as common as anger or fear. So when viewed this way, control can be compared to the desire for ease and comfort that lies at the heart of those who are lazy or lack diligence in their life. So Proverbs 21, 25 says, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. And so for those who struggle with control, often there's a desire for circumstances to be a certain way or for people to behave in certain ways. No, that's helpful. And, and I, I love the way that you're identifying those heart issues behind what we describe as control. And I think that's helpful for us to diagnose things from a biblical perspective. So I, I think one of the questions I want to get to is, is how should we think through these areas in our lives where it seems that, that God has called us to be self-controlled versus where we might, we might call uh, control something that is sinful? And how do we distinguish those two things? Yeah, what I just described captures what people tend to mean when they accuse somebody of being controlling. So that would be a sin issue. And that someone says you're a control freak, they don't mean you're being nice and mm-hmm. you know, really appreciate that type of behavior. And so control, though, however, is, is not always a sin. Mm-hmm. There are areas of our lives that God calls us to exercise a degree of self-control over in order to fulfill a God-given responsibility, while, of course, dependent on his strength to do that. And so, for example, God wants us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness in 1 Timothy 4, 7, or in Romans 12, it says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so we want to pursue reconciliation as much as we can control that, as much as we can do that. And so God calls us to responsibility in different areas. But what distinguishes a sinful desire for control or controlling behavior, however, is when a person goes beyond what God has given his children the responsibility to do or control, since it almost always is done in a self-serving way to fulfill a person's own agenda or preference. Mm -hmm. 
I appreciate that distinction because what you're doing is comparing our role, what God has given us as our role and responsibility before him. So you're, you're helping us to see that, that we have to look through the lens related to God. It's the same way that, that Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter four, that we're to measure ourselves against the measuring stick of Christ and self-controlled is a good thing. It's a fruit of the spirit, but we see sinful control when we're taking responsibility for things that are not ours to take responsibility for. And I think that's helpful. Now, as we think about the manifestation of that, it looks a lot of different ways as we describe it in our culture, as I mentioned earlier about a person being a control freak or, or describing somebody as so so controlling of different things. So how, how do we think through this from a heart level? What's the root of the problem as the Bible describes it from the heart? Sure. Yeah. Depending on what side of the spectrum someone's on, you know, the heart can look certainly lots of different ways, but here's some different characteristics of a proud, controlling heart. I think fundamentally control, trust, and self, and not in God. The Bible often speaks of this idea. For example, in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So essentially a person who trust in self is leaning upon their own finite understanding to judge what is best, right, good, and often develops a specific expectation for what they believe is right on how circumstances should play out or how people should respond. Mm -hmm. So that can be one component of it. Another one, control often places a person's individual will before God's and or others as the judgments and expectations that I just mentioned are formed. So this attitude is opposite of what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember in Luke 22, 42, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not as I will, right? But your will be done. Lastly, I think the heart of control often focuses its hope on circumstances and not on God and his promises. A person forms a circumstantial expectation for what's right, you know, best, good, and that shapes what they hope will happen, right? Uh, to bring about what they see is best. And so as the circumstance turns out completely different than what they hoped, however, that can make the heart sick mm -hmm. in so many ways. They lose hope. They can be discouraged okay, or anger or whatever may come as a result. Now, what I appreciate that you're, you're doing here is you're showing the, the depth and the dynamic of the Bible. You're helping us to see this idea of control in the way that God describes it. And you're, you're demonstrating that God talks about this a lot, this issue of control. And I think a, maybe a follow-up question would, would be, why is this so important to God? Yeah, in the sense that we're, we've described it, control is idolatry. It's a form of self-worship. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 5.15, you know, one of the reasons that Jesus died, it says that, that he died so that those who live, like Christians, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so as a person leans on their own understanding, and determines what they believe would be best, right? They tend to struggle with trusting and therefore worshiping the God who is in control and truly knows what's best. You know, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where it talks about God's ways and his thoughts being higher than the heavens, right, above ours. And so as we think about that, what that does is it, when we are wanting our own way, thinking that we know what's best, it diminishes the glory of God and says that we ultimately know what's best. And so we, we go back to living for ourselves and what our priorities would be. And so again, why is, is control important to God? It's, it diminishes his glory. And instead, we should trust him. You know, the one who's trustworthy, he's wise, he's good, he's faithful, 
loving. He knows truly what's best and is in control. And so as circumstances unfold, you know, contrary to what we prefer, mm-hmm. you know, we can trust the Lord. Now, what you've done so far is you've, you've helped us to see the root problem in the heart of a person. You've described a little bit as to, to why this is important to God. And I think it's important for us. I mean, you can't open somebody's heart up and, and see what's going on in there. And so it, it's important for us to, to now make that next step. Uh, what are some of those common fruits or behaviors, as we describe it, that come out of someone who's struggling with this issue of control? Yeah, that's a great question. I, there's lots, probably more than I could explain now, but oftentimes they emphasize their own expectations. Uh, those who struggle with control are have a lot of thoughts about the way things should be. They focus maybe on the future or other expectations related to their children circumstances, I know, or the schedule or their own timing, mm-hmm. someone or something getting in the way of set plans, you know, having things in order, cleanliness around the home, how a certain person, you know, should be treated or interact with how fast or slow cars, you know, are driving on the freeway. I mean, all kinds of, of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, none of these things are bad, right? To have desires. And, you know, I hope my kids get married. I hope drivers around me don't drive 20 miles below the speed limit mm-hmm. when I'm, you know, trying to get somewhere I need to go. But my response when these expectations or desires are not realized show if I'm trusting God for what is good and right and best in those particular situations. And so people that talk about what they want and they promote those as the highest desires mm-hmm. oftentimes can struggle with that. That's one thing I can see. So another related one is dwelling on the way things should be, you know, before or after an event. Sometimes people replay over and over in their minds and they, they tell you about those things. That's what occupies them. And they're trying to go back and resolve or work that situation out so, so that they could provide the certain outcome that they wanted in particular. So worriers, you know, people that can worry can be an aspect of that. Rash judgments, I think, can be another one. Those who struggle with control often judge what people are doing. And when they're not doing what's best in their mind, they can think things like, well, they're stupid. They're uh-huh. inconsiderate uh-huh. Of, of me when, you know, it's really the opposite or they're unintelligent or incompetent or, or whatever it may be. And so rash judgments can be a huge one. You know, anger, oftentimes as people don't do what we want, what we expect, we can respond anger or impatience. I think demanding or manipulative people, uh-huh. you know, they, they can see the way things should be, could be. I think, you know, engineering type mindsets can struggle with that sometimes more in, in terms of process or, you know, order efficiency, you know, pushing people or demanding trying to, to manipulate them to, to get your way, right? What you believe might be best could be an, a manifestation of that. Uh, I think even discouragement or depression, you know, if we have certain expectations for the way that things should go and those don't regularly line up, we can be discouraged. Even fear or worry, you know, if we have expectations for our families and those things are endangered, we can be fearful. And so all sorts of different ways that control in the heart can be manifested externally. One of the things that's interesting as, you, as you're talking, uh, we, all of us to some degree have, may have tendencies like this, controlling tendencies, because uh, we, we want things the way we want it. We like things the way that we, we want it. As we think about these controlling tendencies in, in our lives, even in the relationships that we have, I wish these things were benign. And sometimes we're convinced naively or deceptively that, that they are benign, when in fact they have grave consequences in the Bible helps us to see some of that as well. What, what are some of those consequences from these controlling tendencies? Yeah, I've seen that 
you know, people who try to control things are often worn out or discouraged. I mean, if you're trying to do something that God ultimately is responsible for, mm-hmm. being completely exhausted is a consequence, most definitely. I think another one, is it's hard to forgive. If you really want things a certain way and someone didn't do that thing, they sinned against you in a certain way, letting go of it can be incredibly hard. I think also too, maybe the last one I can mention is destroyed relationships. When people set their hearts on things going a certain way, people doing certain things, uh, their focus is on fulfilling themselves and their expectations. And they often destroy relationships because they're going to push those things on other people versus thinking about how to love and serve, be kind, gracious, patient, and all the things that, of course, Christ would, would want us to do as we respond to hard circumstances. And Daniel, what I want you to do as we wrap this up is, is as a as a shepherd, I want you to talk to somebody who's listening, who who's struggling with this issue of control. What advice would you offer to them as they they're 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 striving? They want to grow, they want to change. What are some of the things that you would share with them? Yeah, of course. I, I think at the at the heart of it, we can uh, renew our minds to grow in our understanding of who God is, so that we can trust in Him more. He is the one who's ultimately in control. And so when things happen that are hard to understand, we have to know that the the God whose whose sovereignty reigns over all is ultimately in control to give us rest and peace. Like like Charles Spurgeon said, that the sovereignty of God was the pillow that he laid his head on at night. And so as, as circumstances, even profoundly important ones in our lives unfold, if we know the wisdom of God, we know the omniscience of God, we know the love of God, you know, we can profoundly trust him and be encouraged in that. And so maybe reading a book like Jerry Bridges, uh, Trusting God would be an incredible resource or studying God's character or qualities in some of these different areas would help a person struggling in this way to really trust the Lord. The second area I'd mention, the last one is, is just growing in a love for others, renewing your mind in that area in particular. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, as I mentioned earlier, Christ speaks about, it speaks about Christ's love on the cross and how that should control us. And we not only trust the God who is in control, right, that's wise and good, we also need to learn to love others even when they're doing things differently than what we hoped. And so Mark 10, 45 is a great passage. It talks about Jesus's uh, just servanthood and just servant heart. And so it's been a tremendous encouragement for me and for other people to direct their attention away from the circumstances that aren't lining up the way they hoped for and towards caring for and building into people's lives in a way that truly benefit and serve and honor God and the people involved in that situation as well, too. Yeah, that's great. And, and I appreciate this, brother. We, we don't often talk about it in these particular terms and break down these terms in ways that are helpful and biblical. But you've done that today in helping us think through control. And, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. We are getting radically close to our annual conference, and we've talked to you about living and active. Our conference, October 2nd through the 4th in Santa Clarita, California at Grace Baptist Church. We are so excited about that conference. I also want to remind you about our pre-conference that we will be doing on October the 2nd, that Monday of the conference. Uh, We begin early. We have five plenary speakers who will be speaking that day, and the topic that we are covering is show yourself 
self-approved counseling from Philippians. And one of our goals is, is we always have to be tethered to the Scripture when we think about biblical counseling, even in our preparation, how we prepare our own hearts, how we prepare the message that we want to speak to our counselees, how we think about the counselee's life. And so us understanding what the Scripture says to be approved by our study of the Word, to understand the Word. So we're devoting an entire pre-conference to this idea of showing ourselves approved by study of the Word. Let me just mention the five speakers to you, Marshall Adkins, Keith Palmer, Keith Christensen, Sam Stevens, and Dr. Greg Gifford. We are looking forward to this time together. We don't want you to miss that time with us. October 2nd, Show Yourself Approved, Counseling from Philippians. You can find out more about the pre-conference and our annual conference by visiting our website, biblicalcounseling.com.